welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. I'll be speaking with professional singers, actors, choir directors, voice teachers, voice disorder experts, singing voice specialists, touring singers, and other experts. My guest this week is Kaya Hurstead Carney, an award-winning singer-songwriter, performer, artist, lecturer, singing teacher, mentor, choir master, and artistic director of Threshold Festival. Originally from Norway, Kaya has made England her home since 1999 and has become an established artist with a track record of performances, from the Royal Variety Show to the BBC Songwriting Showcase, from Liverpool Sound City to BBC TV's Last Choir Standing. As well as these prestigious performances, Kaya frequently tours the UK and abroad as a solo artist or with her award-winning band, Science of the Lamps. I'm delighted to welcome her to the Vocal Freedom Podcast to talk about her journey, her inspiring style menu and more. Enjoy! So welcome very much to the show, Kaya Hurstikani, who is uh, currently speaking to me from her her beautiful makeshift studio in her home in Liverpool. Um, so again, we're, we're still part, uh, in the, the lockdown period at the moment. So we're talking to each other from our homes. Uh, but, very, you know, thank you very much for your time today and, and uh, giving your time so generously. So my first question to you is, how would you describe your journey with your voice? Oh, um so I've I guess I've always sung um I mean there's a there's a, a tape that we found when we cleared out the family home of so I'm born in January and this was, was for Christmas just before I turned one uh-huh. and I was singing along to all the Christmas songs and I, I couldn't even speak properly and I was singing in June so I do feel like I mean there was music around me all the time I, my dad sang a lot um and played guitar and used to kind of we used to have good night songs with my mom and my dad so oh I always had music yeah. yeah that's wonderful so you were really nurtured from the moment you were born into this musical family and of course wonderful that you were babbling along and doing all the singing <laughs> when you were a little infant and how did that progress when you sort of got into school age and things so I always sung. Um, I guess I didn't realize that that was special until a lot later. So I, I remember telling my, my husband, oh, did you have the rule that you're not allowed to sing uh, sing at the table? And he was <laughs> like, uh, I don't think we needed to have that rule. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, I've sung a lot with my, my sisters and, and I don't I don't think I had a kind of, it was only really as I got into the later part of school, because we had also had a teacher that we started every day at school with a song. Um, Wonderful. So I, I guess I have been very lucky. I, I always say, like, the more I teach, the less I believe in talent. But when you have music around you all the time, and, you know, none of my uh, family are musicians. Okay. It's just, yeah, it's just the joy of singing. So um, my aunties are in choirs and, and things. Um, awesome. Yeah, the journey. So... Essentially, I would be singing at all the school shows. Um, I started getting singing lessons um, when I was in my early teens. Um, we only had 
an opera singer in my tiny little hometown in northern Norway. Okay. Um, so I kind of felt like it was, I went there and I learned, I didn't kind of learn opera, obviously I was only like 12, 13 when I started, um, but I, I took like roles in the local Amdram um, and I, yeah, the first one I had, I even got, I got paid. Oh, it was wow. hardly anything, that was Sprintse in, in the Fiddler on the Roof. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly, <laughs> so like journey to find vocal freedom and stuff like I I have always used singing and eventually songwriting as a way of expressing myself as a way of dealing with emotions yeah. good and bad <laughs> that's wonderful yeah I mean it's also wonderful to speak to an, a songwriter because so far the interviews I've been doing mostly been with um people who are teaching voice and other and other disciplines I spoke to a lady the other day who does reiki and you know sort of lots about body energy and how um, some of the work she does sort of releases people's voice, which was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, it sounds like the exposure that you had from such a young age really fueled um, a passion and interest in music. Did you start to play instruments when you were at school as well? Um, I started playing the violin uh, at five. Um, wow. We did the Suzuki method. Um, so my dad had to learn with me. Uh, <laughs> the twinkle little twinkle little star and stuff oh, like that mainly. amazing um, and then uh, yeah I, I played for seven years actually ended up um playing in the like first violin in the junior orchestra and third oh. violin in the town orchestra so but i couldn't read music so i learned it all by ear oh wow that's <laughs> so, really funny um, so... I, I was really embarrassed about that and uh, that was before i became braver in my learning so i, I was really embarrassed about putting my hand up and saying i, I haven't really worked out this Yes. Um, at 14, my violin teacher said, um, uh, play this. And I said, can you play it for me once first? I can hear it. And and she said, no, I want to see how your sight reading is. And I was like, C, D, E. Uh, and I just got really demotivated and uh, I quit. <laughs> oh, that's tough. Yeah. So I, obviously the teacher was probably trying to see where your level was at. But it, yeah, that would be embarrassing at 14, right? That's really yeah, exposing. That's the worst age for it. <laughs> oh, it's the worst age for that. So, oh my goodness. Picked yeah. up the guitar then. Mm. And kind of strummed at home. Everybody hurts and all moody kind of grunge stuff. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> There's some really lovely arrangements of that. I really do. Is that the REM song? Everybody's... Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that song. Excellent. So when is there anything that um in the journey of your sort of singing voice that you wish you'd learned sooner? Oh yeah, um, that kind of, well, elusive mix part of the range. Okay. Uh, I didn't really have access to that because I was doing classical lessons Yeah. and singing essentially mostly kind of pop, rock, musicals. Um, then I didn't, my, my teacher didn't know how to help me with that, um, yeah. you know, in, in those, um so I only kind of worked out that part of my range after I graduated yeah uh, before that I was uh yeah definitely doing a bit more kind of experimenting in how how high I could pull my chest voice up and how full I could make my head voice or what and I'm doing this with inverted commas yes, because I realize. I've kind of gone away from thinking the, about the voice in that kind of duality way yeah me too many years ago but you're right I mean when I had I had lessons from around um I think I was 12 or 11 or 12 when I started with a local teacher who was a pop and rock coach actually so he'd had some success in the 60s 
um, and had some music released. And he was, I think he was kind of living off the royalties, actually. I can never remember the name of his group, but it was quite big in the 60s. And uh, he set up a little studio in his shed in his garden <laughs> and was just giving locals um, lessons for something like £10 an hour. It was a lot of money at the time, but it was it looks silly now looking back. Um, and that teacher went on to found the um, Southern School of Popular Music in Southampton. And I think that, that the ethos that that teacher went down when he went into SLS, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, which is a road I didn't really go down myself. So um but yeah, when I look back, it was kind of old pedagogy, you know, it was head voice, chest voice, you know, and, and he didn't really talk about much about technique. It was more more holistic and place your voice in the front or place your voice in the back and, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So it was very useful in its own way. And, and I do still sometimes draw upon little things, uh, but mostly I use that as an anecdote of how I don't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> thing though it's it's like I I even had that I had a lesson with a um a student who I used to have on a bachelor course uh who's now a teacher yeah uh, she did um you know I'm, I'm a, a trainer on the bus training so um she's she's gone through that course and have started teaching for the last three four years and and she wanted to kind of work in her own voice and find out why I did certain things in between um and then she said, oh, you know, I spent all these years in, and, and actually she, it was SLS, but I spent six years in SLS. I learned so much. Mm. And she was like, oh, but I've moved on from that. And I was like, well, you've probably learned loads of things and nothing's wasted. You know, mm. my classical years um, means that I developed a very good upper range that I could then, when I found this kind of science style of things. Yeah. Um, and the SLS helped me find my mix, even though eventually I found out that it was really hard to then be go into a full compression because everything was so narrow. And um, but it, but some of those exercises I use, you know, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's value in everything, isn't there? And we just take the bits that we find useful and we find useful for our clients. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And when I was at uni, we kind of we had a little bit of a still. We learned. Um, kind of all the the figures and things mm. like that and 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 the anatomy which spoke a lot to me because i went to sports um college ah sports science which i also at the time i was like oh they didn't have music in my hometown so I, and i we do kind of like an international baccalaureate in norway okay. and then you have a, a subject that you can kind of do extra um oh. if you want to so yeah. the people who do that and that could be music it's kind of five hours on top of all the other subjects so I did sports and um but I, that's I learned about you know automation of technique uh, mm. how everything is put together so it's definitely not lost in not in at all that kind of way so but I, I interrupted myself oh yeah there's still stuff <laughs> but I learned about the anatomy and, and 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 that kind of really spoke to me and, oh okay so we can develop this there's muscles and ligaments this mm. isn't myth and talent and mm. um and that really helped but the majority of the singing provision at Lippo was at that time was more the kind of can you do it with a bit more conviction and mm. you know do it one more time and a bit more kind of a bit more soulful and, and yeah. things like that where I didn't really have the tools to I definitely became a better performer for it mm. and sometimes your vocal stuff kind of go away when you just lean into the words as you were saying yeah yeah the expression but, yeah there wasn't really technique classes mm. Yeah, and it, I think it's helpful to have both ideas, isn't it? So you've got the scientific knowledge to um, sort of back up 
what it is that you're doing and and to sort of get that 3D landscape of what we feel is going on on the inside is really helpful or can be very helpful and um, but then obviously you can't forget about the expression and I think sometimes if you go down a technique wormhole so much you can show off with all these flashy things but you may not connect with the audience if the audience isn't um, feeling that you mean it uh, you know, so I, I tried to find a balance of the two things of, you know, technical sort of stability, but also um, really important to find expression um, because, you know, you can have the best technique in the world. But if you're not moving people, what use is it? You know, you know, and when you were talking about um, about your kind of the freedom of the voice and everything, what, what my thing that I kind of talk to all students about is my magic triangle. Ooh. I don't know if you remember that from my uh, uh, style yes I may do thing. remind remind our listeners though it's brilliant yeah and I, I was saying it, it's you've got to have everything in the magic magical triangle and the bit up here is knowing your lyrics knowing your melody your rhythm the actual knowledge of the song mm -hmm. uh, the bit down here is having the technique to do the choices that you you know and the preparedness of the body being whether that is being warmed up or that's all another can of worms but like uh, whether your body's ready mm -hmm. and the final one is your conviction and the storytelling that's wonderful that's a really simplistic but brilliant idea of putting that into those you know into that shape because when people realize yes it is isn't it it's all stump that all those things are necessary and if you only have two of them it's not quite enough. The balance isn't there. That's a really... It'll be either boring or it'll be that you're scared if they're going to kind of yeah. fail or or it might be that you're worried about the uh, if they are going to remember the lyrics. So, you know, you, as a listener, unless those three things are all present, you might be worried for the performer rather than just enjoy. So I was going to ask you next, um, you know, and you've already actually, you've already said it and uh, about your the style menu. And this was the thing I saw you do at the Voice Kit Conference last year. Was it last year or the year before? It was last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering if you could explain a bit about that for our listeners, because I think it's wonderful. And it's a, it's just such, it looks like a menu, yeah. like a kind of a diner menu. And, uh, and I love diners as well. So it appeals to that part of me. <laughs> And actually, the, the, it's a template, a, a design template of a diner menu. So ah, there we go. There we go. But it's wonderful. So, yeah, just yeah. see if you can explain that for us. That'd be wonderful. Right. So it actually originated, I was working with a master's student at the University of Chester, um, and she was a great musician. She'd done uh, her undergrad in classical saxophone. Yeah, so she was really good at following. It's like kind of the opposite of what I said earlier about the reading thing. Yeah. Although I read music now. Um, but if she had come from the I play all the dots yeah. uh, kind of background. And, um, you know, she hadn't really improvised either. Um, so she wanted to get into neo-soul and, and that kind of music, which obviously there's loads of riffing, there's loads of style. If you sing it too proper, mm. you know, and I've spent my, my time in church choirs and, you know, that kind of thing where you don't deviate from the rhythm length. You don't deviate if it doesn't say vibrato, there is no vibrato, you know, all yes. that kind of, um, the composer knows exactly what they want. Well, yes. in the pop world, you know, uh, it's up to the artist to decide. She was really struggling to kind of make it her own when mm. she was writing her own songs. She was like, oh, it sounds so boring and, and it's just straight. And I was like, it's perfect in tune. It's very nice. Um, but it wasn't the right style for that. So we kind of started going into deep, analyzing the deep detail of things like scoops and, mm. and you know, 
at flips and and uh, fall-offs and onsets in various kind of for stylistic and kind of deviating a little bit from per- perfect technique into yeah you know, the phrasing, diction style, all that kind of stuff, using the vowels in a different way to encourage different compression. Um, and we ended up writing it down like um, it was kind of a bullet point, do this there, this there. And with this new set of rules, mm. she managed to develop her style. And yeah, she's still actually right. She writes everything, including like bass parts and everything. Yeah. And she writes riffs. But she has now, oh, I'm going to add a little... And it's just a new set of rules. So that's how we started. And I used that as a case study at the Vocology and Practice Conference in LA that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people went, oh my God, that is amazing. It's such a, a different way of looking at it. And I hadn't thought of it as actually something new. Mm. You know, it was just something we worked out that worked for this particular student. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I said, well, it's kind of like a menu. And the very first presentation I did, it was just bullet points. It was no fanciness and then just through that because it's like an, a 10-day artist intensive with teacher training as part of it and uh, and now in the evening while there were a little bit less less things to do I just started messing around on photoshop and and kind of it wasn't as fully developed as it is now but I kind of split it into starters on yeah. the left hand side with all kind of voice sciency, larynx position, onsets, uh, compression, vowels and consonants. Yeah. And then the right side is all the embellishments and yeah. It's and, very helpful. I mean, um yeah, I mean just for um you know, especially a, a developing singer, a newer singer, perhaps a teenage girl, you know, to look at it and then to have an awareness of what all those things mean. And that might be confusing if they haven't learned that yet. So it's like, it's a really good starting point for them to say, what does that mean? And then f- I'll go and find an example, you know, and then you can listen to it in other people's voices and you can say, um, oh, okay, that's what they're doing there. And obviously the, you know, maybe the artistic choices by someone who's, who uses a lot of embellishment, like, you know, Ariana Grande or someone, I don't believe that they're in the recording studio with a menu on the wall. I think okay. it is more, you know, I know it's more organic than that when when perhaps they're songwriting or coming up with their phrasing. But I think for a developing artist who wants to find their own style and their own sort of things that make them feel true to themselves, it's a really brilliant starting point for them to just play with all of these different techniques and embellishments um, on on a song. And perhaps, you know, just even as a, an assignment to say to a student, Okay, I want you to go and play with five things from this menu that you haven't done before on that song um, and come back and show me next week what you've done. I think for that element, it's brilliant. Okay. So. Yeah, and um, if anybody wanted, I've, I've got it up at like a free sharing uh, resource on kayamusic.com. Um, yeah. So that's a feel free to download if 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 you find it useful. Um, I'd love a testimonial if, if, if you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. Apart yes. from that, I, I don't charge for it. Um, but. Uh, I, I find it really useful lately working with musical theater singers who have to sound, you know, like so much musicals now, like Bear or, or Hamilton. Mm. It, it's not really in the sound of musical theater. Yeah, it's much more contemporary now, isn't it, in a lot of these musicals. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. So like training who has uh, people who've had training to sound a certain way. Like uh, my vocal training philosophy is. I kind of say they'll help you find your voice uh, metaphorically mm. and physically. Yes. <laughs> and, That's amazing. And that is that kind of thing. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I never work on, I will 
make you sound it's like you're the artist mm. but what are you happy with that sound you're making exactly. if not let's try something else and this is why I'm drawn to you and other teachers with that same feeling in, in that we're not prescriptive with our tra- you know with our training it's more about helping that singer find what works for them and mm. so they can be true to themselves which I think is very important yeah it's non-judgmental yeah, training definitely so with your, um, whether it's with, you, with your own voice or whether you've been working with others, um, and I do think you kind of shared a light bulb moment there with, with, with the way that your style menu came about. That's a fantastic story. Is there any other light bulb moments that you've experienced with um, either your own singing voice or other voices that you just think that's such a valuable thing that I'd like most people to be aware of? Um, a couple of things. One of them is case study voices like learning it super accurate exactly how the singer is doing it and then trying to make it sound really different afterwards ah which is like the if somebody says oh you sound a bit like blah 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 try and make it like exactly phrasing vowel choices you know onsets and everything perfect yeah and then go okay how can i try not to sound like that singer yeah that's really cool i love that idea yeah i like that um other thing learning about and that was actually through training through the um, be a bass trainer uh, in it it's the uh, competence scale going from because I, I was familiar with the kind of Dreyfus novice to beginner to nov- novice uh, mm. expert kind of thing but if, um, this particular thing of going from unconscious competence uh, sorry, yeah. unconscious incompetence yeah when you don't know what you don't know to conscious incompetence which is a scary yeah new skill you know there's something there but you don't know how to do it yet yeah yeah I know I don't know (laughs) and then you get to conscious competence when when I remember to drop my jaw or alignment or whatever that thing is the tongue you know when that's all in line then the voice comes out and then getting into and that's basically your free voice um, yeah the unconscious competence absolutely yeah that is that is the um the bit I'm talking about with that and it's a, it is a great model I was looking into the history of that recently actually and I didn't realize it was from the 1970s yeah. um and it was a man at some um conference and it was, yeah it was a corporate yes. training thing yeah absolutely <laughs> it was like nothing to do with voice at all but it I mean actually it applies to anything any new skill development doesn't it and I think it's quite sure. useful to uh for, to help people be aware of, of that well, especially with singing, I think when people have that opinion that you're either born a good singer or you're not, you know, that it's something to do with some innate talent. And I say to everybody, no, you know, the voice, the way we learn to use it, you know, I mean, I know there are exceptions, but mostly we're born with the same equipment. And then um, it's it's how you develop it. It's and, uh, you know, yes, there's an element of the size and shape of mm. your larynx and vocal tract and da, yeah. da, da. but you know, I can change my voice very uh, through training and through choices. Are you best not get me started on that, Kaya, because we'll be sitting here making funny noises at each other for an hour. <laughs> so here's a question then. What have you found most valuable in caring for your own voice? The straw. The straw. Yeah, great. Yeah, straw and, um, uh, straw and water, as in like the slightly thicker straw, uh, vocal tubes and um sovts in general yeah there you go yeah you go you got one of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah great little it's uh yeah it's just been and upping my water intake uh i think it, when i was a younger student i definitely didn't drink enough water mm. um, water addict yes <laughs> i have got my pint here i try there and get you through you know <laughs> Mm. It's water, by the way, guys, who are not watching. <laughs> That's it. No one's, <laughs> no one's going to see the video of this, don't worry. 
Um, definitely not drinking spirits at this hour. But um, I've got a pint, so you, know, you never know. <laughs> but I think it's like, um, you know, I think most people are going to say the same things on, on the care for the voice now because it's really quite known and out there now, isn't it, of how we, you know, obviously we need to take care of the whole body um, and keep hydrated and make sure that we're, um, you know, warming up first, not going straight into the athletic stuff. So there's great there's great knowledge out there for everybody. But I think it's just a, a personal thing. Sometimes you find your own way of this always works for me or this, you know, these are the things I avoid or, on gig days or whatever it is. And uh, it's really interesting to hear other people's. Um... Also a, a proper stretching routine. Mm. Like um, you can get away with so much more when you're 20 and, uh, you know, everything bounces right back and. Yeah, I just actually asked my husband this morning, could you look up ordering me some cod liver oil tablets? Because I feel like my joints have got stiffer in the last couple of weeks where I have done a lot less um, physical activity just because I'm, you know, I'm at my desk a lot now. It's it's a very different way of working. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been um, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been um, uh, changing between sitting kind of here, sitting on the chair, uh, on my yoga ball, mm. um, standing up. So I've got, we've got like, um, it's actually Chris's DJ stand that sometimes I will do standing up and, and just like making sure I'm just not, because for the first couple of weeks of lockdown, I was just doing so much sitting. Sitting down, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit like that too at the moment. So my next question is, what does your voice mean to you? Oh, uh, everything. Mm. <laughs> no it's um i mean it's my living it's my hobby it's my love it's uh my way of expression um i had a bit of a bit of voice loss a couple of because i've got i'm asthmatic okay had a big asthma attack the day before i was heading out on the tour oh, God. uh sang right through the tour um, you know, all the things you tell your students not to do, but this band was coming over from New York and I was really excited about it and yeah. everything was planned and it was my original music so I couldn't get a depth. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, you know, I noticed a de deterioration throughout and I, you know, the loss of the higher range because my voice was essentially swollen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, was, what was what I also learned from that though, one was... Oh, the, the tragic oh I just remember and it, and it took so much longer to repair than it did to mess it up to put it like that yes you know? yeah I probably had some hemorrhage but I never had it scoped at that time and um yeah the, the I learned as well that I don't always so I'm I can be a bit uh indulgent sometimes and like jump up the octave for the last chorus and um you know add some extra riffing and stuff like that um, and I couldn't go up the octave for this particular song because mm. that was like all E's and F's, you know. Um, so I did other type of riffing and kind of went down in my voice and and, and different kind of melodies. And afterwards, my cellist just turned around and was like, wow, your improvisations today were just awesome. Wow. And yeah. it was just a little bit of, it doesn't always have to be louder, faster. Yeah, that's right. Punk song. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so, thank goodness that you had that, you know, that musicality and that skill to to use a, a safer area in your voice at that point and that in your range in that point, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, certainly trying to do everything you can normally do on a healthy voice on a voice that's not healthy is pretty much dangerous territory. Right. Yep. Yeah. But you're OK. And that, that you, you know, it took a bit of a bit of a time to recover, but your your voice is all yeah. fixed. And yeah, my stuff. voice is all, all good. Um, yeah. I think uh, it, it was about 
two to three months and I, I was like fully yeah. recording. But there was a month where I didn't sing and that was heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you actually. I, I did have a similar experience many years ago. I think it was back in um, maybe 2009 and uh, my band did a gig uh, and it was, I think it was July, but it was one of those July days where it had rained all day mm. and we had an outside gig underneath this wooden structure and the wood was damp. Ooh. So it kind of like, I could feel in the air, this almost, I almost felt like I was taking things in when I was breathing that I shouldn't be. It had a, a bit of a funny smell. And uh, I got through the gig, but I, I started coughing the next night. And I thought, oh, I've picked something up in that damp, you know, horrible thing that I was playing under last night. And uh, lo and behold, the day after that, I woke up and my voice had just completely gone. So that was terrifying because I'd never really lost my voice before. I'd never had laryngitis before. And um, at that point I was singing, but I wasn't teaching properly. I was kind of in the beginning of my teaching and I hadn't um, sort of sort of uh, finished my qualifications at that point. So I wasn't working with other people's voices very often. I just had a few friends I was giving lessons to at the time. So I thought, oh God, this doesn't look good because you panic, don't you? You think, I can't be a singer or a singing teacher if I've lost my voice. It almost feels like you've done something wrong and people are going to judge you. Like an imposter. Yeah. So I got (laughs) imposter syndrome at that point thinking, what have I done? And then I thought, well, actually, no, wait, there's a reason that this has happened. I had a cough, I had an infection and obviously that's taken its toll. So I went to have a scope and uh, lo and behold, there was an underlying infection. I got some medicine Two weeks later, I was fine. So, you know, it was one of those things. It's terrifying. But we and and, and, and at the time, nobody had to tell me. Um, but I almost felt my own little bit of shame, <laughs> like yeah. I've done something wrong and people are going to judge me. Um, but no, I just got sick. And, and that's OK. And I think that we really should be um, more sympathetic and encouraging and uh, helpful to singers that do have a vocal issue like that, because it's easy to hide away and and not tell anyone almost because you don't want people to judge you that you think they've you've got your technique wrong or you've sung badly and well that's it I mean I I um now work a fair bit with with like voice recovery with with Mm. singers and 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 one of the main one is they're so worried and and shameful about it and yeah well we're athletes we we use our voice very athletically yes so we are prone to injury and there's no shame in that if that happens. Exactly. James, a footballer who who got, got the head a little bit, you know, got the ball a little bit wrong on his head. And, you know, it's like, oh, bad technique. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's right. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a great analogy to put it into the sports category because we don't shame, you know, if a tennis, play, tennis player has to take a season off because they've had an injury or a muscle strain. We feel we, we we feel compassion and and um, sensitivity around that. We want to encourage them to get better. So I hope it, you know, and I think a lot of people are that way towards singers now. But it can also be a bit. I mean, I remember when Adele had her sort of um, second big voice problem, and you sort of think, um, you know, you you hope that there's people around her that will be giving her good advice. Yeah. But you don't know, do you, when you're that you know, you're that massive and popular and you think, well, maybe she just feels that she doesn't need that, you know. That's the thing. I mean, with somebody like that, you you might hear on the radio and you go, oh, that sounds really exciting, but that's going to cause damage. And you you just know that that industry is going to push, push, push. Mm. It happens so much. Actually, I had a funny little anecdote um, with um, um, one of my uh, students who's a teacher as well. 
um, and she does a lot of choir work. And she was kind of coming in and I was like, I, I, I've lost my voice. I can't sing properly. Um, it feels really dull was the word she used. And uh, we kind of did some exercises and um, eventually kind of referred her on to some manual therapy as well because it was definitely tension. And um, <laughs> I was quite proud at the time I come up with it in uh, in the moment, but she was uh, said she, she was doing a lot of this kind of being really energetic and, you know, giving so much into various things. And I said, well, she was like, I'm coming out with this phony voice. I was like, well, Phony rhymes with pony and that makes you a little horse. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. What was her reaction? Did she just start laughing? Yeah, she started laughing and, and we were kind of uh, talking about like that, you know, spending time outside your natural balance yeah. is going to create some problems. When, I, when I've worked with larger groups, larger casts for things, and uh, I'm trying to be heard over, say, 60 kids, mm. um, I do tend to whack my larynx up the tube a bit because I then don't need to uh, uh, work too hard to be heard. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, it's, it may be quite grating on the students, but it gets their attention and then I can soften again a little bit you know absolutely okay yeah okay, then again everybody yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's just yeah so we have these tools which is brilliant yeah that's well, my I, I usually depending on the level of the singer uh, I might say that you know there's a different set of muscles up there so you just if if you constantly use just your right hand your left hand won't be as strong uh, and that kind of I know I, yeah. I go to sports analogies so often uh, it's just that's wonderful that's a really good way of looking at it right hands and left hands <laughs> so, yeah, because it's that if you can either like kind of hope that it'll take it, or you can work on the handover. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's that's brilliant. I love that. I'm getting lots of tips from you today, Kaya. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what voices inspire you? And twofold here. So, what voices inspire you? And who could you never tire of listening to? Actually, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a picture of me uh, there behind me. Okay. Um, uh, for definitely for part of that side of the voice um but also like i mean i i used to absolutely adore eddie vedder i could never tire of uh jeff buckley mm. so I, I like um i mean other this there's so many so many and i feel like uh you know i, I love the kind of fun joni mitchell mm. ricky badu uh, yeah, I could probably go on forever. So s people that aren't necessarily like technical provers, although like I, I might go, oh, wow, Beyonce can do that kind of stuff. And um, yeah. but like Damien Rice, just the emotion that he can convey in a song. Yeah, it sounds as if it's very much the the music that stirs your soul. It sort of moves you, doesn't it? And and there's yeah. something in a voice. Sometimes it may not be that it can do lots of technical wizardry. But it speaks to you because it's so honest mm. and it's so like it, you really feel that person is just using their voice authentically, don't you? Yeah. And that um, speaks to it. Really expression. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, um, and, and I'm kind of contradicting the, the magic triangle. A lot of those singers don't have perfect technique, but mm. uh, they might uh, give it more on one of the other type of the. Uh, yeah. It balances in its own way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. We, I think we, we are very forgiving of hearing voices that aren't perfect because we're not perfect ourselves. And it's like if that person's yeah. um, delivered it with with a real sense of truth 
um, it's really forgivable because you, you know that they're in the moment and that's more important almost than having perfect technique. There's something in perfection that also sounds a bit phony to me. I think that it can sound auto-tuned almost. It's like we don't want auto-tune. We want real. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you've got singers who are entertainers, mm. not necessarily vocal technicians or vocal uh, explorers, shall we say. Yeah. So many of the, especially the touring singers I work with and like a, a pro. Yeah. Like they're so worried about changing. It's that kind of fixed mindset of having my voice rather than, which makes it even worse if they, if they get some voice problems. Yeah. Kind of shifting that of, well, it's just tools in your toolbox. You choose if you use it or not. Yeah. That's so. really awesome. So the voices you could never tire of listening to. What would be a good song from one of these artists? Because what I'll do is I'll put a link to it in our show notes. It will almost be like, this is the song that you think that mm. singer in that moment is expressing in a way that always gets to you and then they can have a listen to what do you think uh, i'm gonna go with uh lover you should have come over by jeff buckley yeah quite a loss yeah that was really tragic was, uh, i remember when he when he passed on and i was just like oh yeah because he was trained at berkeley with jazz uh, and then having like that kind of rock sensibility and i, I love the genre mm. Genre hopping, I yeah. say that my my band is vaudeville grunge pop. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, no, do you know what? My band was called Crossover, and it was because we were crossing over genres. We literally said we don't want to be just this or just that, and we wanted to be able to, um, you know, alter the set list according to the the gig we had. So, you know, some people would book us very much to do, you know, eighties dance floor stuff, and other people would want a nice sort of chilled jazz set with a few theater tunes or whatever it was so crossover was always about that exact thing just crossing over genres and not being boring and also it's it's great to have that versatility in mm. the set of a band you know so we could dress up and and make it more sort of corporate and interesting and, uh, and then we could dress down and do it in a pub and just do all the rocky ones and enjoy ourselves in that way so that was that was a great fun time of my life I stopped performing with that band about three years ago now and um, wanted to focus more on my teaching Mm. Um, but I also didn't I didn't think I was going to miss it I didn't miss it to start with I think when you've been on that that treadmill of you know you, you're gigging most Friday Saturday nights and you're, you're in a routine and it's great but it can get a bit samey it can feel a bit like you know I think I lost the spark a little bit the last year that we were performing together and I said yeah. to my group you know I think I'm going to take six months off next year just to um, have a break from the whole routine of it and see what it feels like. And my husband had been our sound engineer for 10 years or nearly, we was nearly 10 years we'd been together. And um, we suddenly got our Fridays and Saturday nights back <laughs> and we started th doing things like going to the cinema together or going out for a meal or just staying home, actually, just doing nothing. And about two months into the six months, I looked up at him and I went, are you missing gigging? Are you, how are you feeling about it? And he sort of looked at me and smiled and he went, not really, are you? And I went, no, I'm actually really loving being at home at the weekends. Um, and uh, so I, I messaged my band. I think I was only two months into the six months and said, I'm going to take the whole year. And then the whole year turned into forever, actually, because I just we, we, we didn't get back together. I mean, one of the reasons was our um, our keyboard player was from Slovakia and he went back to Slovakia to start um, a new life there back with his family. Um, and that sort of left us with, oh, we're going to have to find someone, some other genius because he was he was such a genius musician. 
anything we ever wanted to cover, his amazing Korg could do everything, you know. Yeah. Um, few were... and far between. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, and it's what you're saying as well. Like I'm, I've kind of went from having like a, a set band set up to kind of having more of a, of a collective of, of uh, musicians. Yeah. Basically, I could work with, but then you always have to rehearse it up again before a yeah. gig, and then, um, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely something you gotta be hundred percent passionate about to be in a band. It's a it's yeah. a whole different. I mean, even for yourself in an originals band, I think that may even be harder in terms of getting gigs and people at the door because they've ha- you're the draw. They have to come to see you and your music. Whereas we didn't have that. We were booked, you know, primarily to play at a function or play at a wedding or. Or, or entertainment in a pub so it wasn't about us it wasn't um you know they people didn't come to see me they just came to came out on a night out and wanted a band or whatever we were the entertainment so I think you know as an originals artist how how have you managed to sort of work your original music out into the world um well the big one is you know I was really the last kind of setup I've done I've, I've been too greedy to make it lucrative even on like even on a really well-paid gig, by the time you fly nine people to Aberdeen and, you know, yeah, <laughs> there's no, nothing there's no left. money left. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have um, been lucky to not make that part my main income. Mm. No, so I've kind of gone and not do anything that will take money out. Yes. But make sure that everything's covered so it's kind of like a break-even, not-for-profit project. Really. Yeah. And it, but it gets you and your music out there, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of uh, realized quite quickly that the function scene was, as you were saying, it, it didn't give me enough back. Mm. Um, for, so even though it's much easier to earn money in that uh, scene, because as you say, you know, people, well, if you play some of the songs, they know they'll. Um, and in the last year, I properly ran the ban because since then it's been putting things together for gigs yeah um specific gigs which is a little bit and still still a lot of the same people but especially moving between liverpool and london you kind yeah. of have to make some changes but we did some things with where we'd do half of our own half um covers but in our own style kind of thing oh yes um, and that kind of worked quite a lot of especially in the kind of slightly more vintagey bars because like for four backing vocalists kind of really close harmony stuff so oh wow people who might not have heard us before my favorite thing was always playing festivals because mm. you know you get a, a crowd going and yeah we'll see <laughs> we'll see what <laughs> happens now I've, my husband and i are writing um um a music theater kind of not musical as such but a theater piece with music or oh that sounds interesting yeah. so when when, so, when will that be coming out well we have to finish it first <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so maybe next year or something yeah that'll be or exciting i'm gonna try and do some um do some uh, funding bids and kind of do it in a you know in a way where we involve some local choirs where we're going to play it so oh that'd be we'll awesome let's show at some point oh that'd be great you'll have to keep us informed about that is there anything uh, that you'd like to promote or any um social media links you'd like to share so our listeners could come and find out a bit more about you well you can pop on kaya music.com that's k-a-y-a music.com 
loads of including the style menu and music and some of the workshops and things and a, and a, and a blog that I'm hoping to get a little bit more uh, regular uh, going forward. Yes yeah we've all got a bit more time for that now haven't we sort of like you know indulging ourselves <laughs> yeah this is uh, yeah I know this is the thing we've, we've, we've been working our way through the lockdown and um, yeah we're not as free as some of the other professions right now. It's it's a blessing I'm trying to tell myself to yeah. not get overwhelmed um, you know I took on loads because I was scared of not having enough and and that maybe mean that I can have a calmer summer. Yes, it it is important to have a have a, have a bit of a rest time as well to know. Definitely, we're lucky to have such a a, a great job, but it still work. <laughs> yeah, it still work. We still got to do it when we're tired sometimes. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me today, Kaya. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very awesome. much. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.